Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. So, a little about our sponsors, Ericsson. As we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies for top-line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals, digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks. Check out their site at www.ericsson.com forward slash oil and gas. I will put this in the notes of each one of the episodes. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow. My name is Jason Duff. I'm the IBM North America Oil and Gas Lead. Today, I'm taking a huge risk. I've brought two good friends with me, but I'm still slightly worried. I have two Miles, two Jasons, and three people on this call. And we're going to talk about experience. I've got Jason Miles and Fred Miles with me today. Hello, guys. Hey, how you doing? Jason Miles, you want to introduce yourself from, are you Orange County just now? Are you LA or? I'm in Orange County, California right now. I'm a principal consultant in data and AI for Nudesic. Woohoo! An IBM, an IBM company, company as well. Yep. Killing it. And I've obviously got some connections with the oil industry, and I'm really interested to learn how the energy workforce of tomorrow can be grown and how you're planning on attracting new people to the what I consider one of the most amazing and highest tech industries out there. How's Nudesic, by the way, Jason? It's a business that we bought, IBM bought about a year, 14 months ago. I mean, I think we just won another award with Microsoft, but what's your experience, Jason? Yeah, we just won a Global Partner of the Year Award and a National Partner of the Year Award with Microsoft. I've got to say it's a great opportunity. It's a great organization to work with, and I can't say enough about it. I'm working with great people, and we're doing some really amazing things. Excellent. Good to hear you, Jason. Now, unfortunately, we had to bring Fred Miles in. Fred, you've been on the show before, but hello, Fred. Hey, how y'all doing? Yeah, I'm in Turkey. I'm in Atlanta, about 300 meters from the Mediterranean Sea. It's hot today, but, you know, I can't really complain too much. I'm based in here now instead of uh, Russia or other places, and I'm working with, I'm I'm VP of uh, NGINX Tech. It's a oil and gas consultancy based out of India. But I've also just been named uh, head of uh, EMEA for NGINX Tech. So I don't know if that means anything Not head yet. of the world? Sorry, hold on. That's surely a demotion. I always saw you as head of the world, Fred. Well, no, my wife is the head of the world, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or one of my daughters, something like that, you know. But no, it's a wild ride. And we talked a little bit about how I got here. But right now, it's kind of cool. Get to go back, you know, I'm traveling the area. I love the way that the Turkish accents really worked on your face. It's what I do. <laughs> you, know the, <laughs> you know, the problem is we have people come and visit or I go see some people and they speak English. They don't have a clue what I'm saying. It's like I was another to, Jason, to Jason and I, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> sitting here going. Yeah, we're going to have to put subtitles up for Fred. I think <laughs> says, says a Scotsman. 
So, Fred, you and I had this idea three or four weeks ago. Bring young Jason on, who's clearly your son, who's new to the industry. And we're going to give him the mic just now. But I'm slightly anxious, Fred, of what he's going to ask us. Yeah, it's worrying me a little bit. He's threatened me for about 20 years now to get me in a place where I can't lie and I have to tell the truth. <laughs> well, dang. So before we have Jason, over to you, dude. You've got the mic. You're the host in this show. So yeah, the challenge is there. Off you go, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 20 years, closer to 40 at this point that I've been looking for an opportunity to get him under oath. <laughs> but I think the first question I want to ask, the two of you have both had careers that epitomize Indiana Jones's statement, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Can you tell me a bit about what kind of travel has been like and what has been your best project so far and why? Well, Jason, I'll let you go first if you want on this one. I'll take the next one. Wow. Travel. Yeah, there's been a few miles. <laughs> I mean, for me, travel means in the oil and gas industry and where I've been, it's all for me, it's culture. The whole experience is how do you take what you know and how to do it, but use it in a cultural way to fit in. Working in Asia for me was very similar. Maybe, yeah, it's very similar to the Russian time your father and I had as well in business. I think it's always difficult. And you've always, if you don't take the culture into consideration, you'll never, you can't come in in a Scottish way or a Texan way or a Louisiana way, you'll lose it. I think projects in, wow, for me, Vietnam, I think for me, where Ho Chi Minh City at the time was running on hydropower. So during this dry season, power would go on and off in Ho Chi Minh or Saigon, as it used to be called. And there was a JV, Petro Vietnam, BP Statoil, found gas 330 clicks off the coast in the South China Sea. We did all the finance and the maintenance systems and processes for that. But what that was great was that was 2000, 2002, Fred, if you remember that one. Yeah. But it was piping gas into the system, taking uh, Ho Chi Minh off of really the hydropower and keeping power going. What a great sustainable project. I just wish it was now and we could tell that story. And that's one of the issues. For me, that was probably the most sustainable type project. The other ones have been in Russia and Ukraine, where I felt that I was up against the culture, understood the language and really embedded myself and really getting some value, not only from successfully implementing in Sakhalin or Ukraine and Odessa, in Kazakhstan, but actually Moscow as well, but actually really getting to know the people and embedding the people. For me, it's all to do with culture. And that's my... You know, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I went to uh, Russia at first, I mean, after Nigeria and all these other places in 1997. And I went on a whim because the head of PwC at the time asked me to go. And the key was getting to know the people. And at first, and it's not really an oil and gas story yet, but when I got there, I hated it because they put us in an apartment complex that was, I called it expat prison, because you were just with Australians, Americans, and, you know, Brits. And that's... Scottish. Uh, there's a few of those guys around. We too. were at the bar. We were at the bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a driver who's an ex-KGB guy, senior guy, and he took me around a little bit. So one day I just disappeared into the metro system. And I wanted to find out. And I'll tell you, it was amazing. The people, they wanted to meet me. You know, I've seen Americans come in like on fighter pilots and all of that. And it's a big deal. But these people were just interested. And they tried to speak English to me because, you know, I could say vodka, sabaka, which is dog, you know. <laughs> you know, my first word, you know, my first number, Fred, in Russian I learned was dvestitisich. 
which for the listeners is 200,000, as you know. And the reason, I didn't even know how to say Adin, number one or two or three, and you'd wasted Tisic. And the reason was after my vodka or piva, the beer, and coming out drunk from the bar, I would flag a ladder down or a Moscovich and ask for <laughs> yeah. to take me to my home address, was written on, and I'd say 200,000, which was a dollar at the time to take it. <laughs> yeah. But it's mad, isn't it? You go to these countries and just learn... Street Russian is what you and I have always spoken about. Yeah. I mean, imagine I learned the word 200,000 before any other numbers. That's just crazy. And I learned Sabaka because there was all these huge dogs outside the airport. And I asked the driver, you know, what's a dog in, you know, in Russian? Sabaka. And so, and that became a joke in the office. Sabaka, 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 because that's the only word I could speak, you know. And uh, it was great. But I had some great projects in Russia, but I had, and Pemex was another fantastic one, yep. Guitar Petroleum. I mean, all over the world has been great. And it's not only, you know, you'll hear me talk a lot about operations, and that's great. But we also need to remember that it's not all just operations and IT guys. I mean, they need to be auditors and accountants and procurement guys. It's everything. And that's what the oil and gas industry is. Jason yep. Miles mentioned it is that there's nothing as really big and broad and covering all areas as the oil and gas industry. And it's really ripe when you start including other people. And I think, Jason Duff, if you're planning to take your, some of your folks out to a drilling rig, oh, yeah. I think that is absolutely so important in the future for all of us that are still old enough and still working and doing stuff and even talking to our friends that continue to do it is take these young folks out and let them smell the smell, let them see and take the sounds, let them see. I think what that is one at. of the that's one of the problems we do have, Fred. And that's the reason I am taking people out to Navasota in the next week. Is that some of the people I've realised new to the industry are doing some work, are sitting in offices, be it consultants, be it even multinationals and nationals, and not seeing and experiencing the things that you and I have seen. And I think you end up seeing more of what's there, what's going on, and how we can do things. You no, just I, get a sense of reality, I think, to be honest, being out there. Yeah, and a quick story, as I always do. My dad, when I was about, I don't know, 16 or something, I mean, it was decades ago. 16, and, Jason, how old? <laughs> I can't even count back that far. <laughs> <laughs> My dad took me out to the oil field, and I thought, okay, this is great, you know, and he talked to me all the way out there, and I didn't listen. So we get to the production area in South Louisiana, and he says, oh, I got to do some work. And he'd already planned it. He called some guy from the field, and for the next eight hours, and it happened for a couple more days, every couple hours, they switch me to a new guy. Oh, I'm busy now. Go over here. And they asked me for one thing. Fred, what I need, I started with maintenance. And they said, okay, you know, he says, I need you to help me. Go find a left-handed snipe. And <laughs> on a long had, stand, go find yeah. a long stand. <laughs> I didn't know anything, so I said, "Okay." So he says, oh, "Go get me a left-handed snipe," and I didn't have any idea. So then they sent me to the next guy, and to the next guy, and the next guy. And before I know it, I was actually inside talking to the operations accountant, everybody else over a couple of days. And over two days, I met all of these people. I learned what they did, more or less. Never yep. did find the the snipe. I was like, Dad, where's the snipe? And he was—he just didn't answer and walked off. You know, I said, okay, now I got it. Jason, I heard that your dad took you also on as a five-year-old into a field, didn't he? Into a Definitely an oil field when I was five, also chemical plants. Um, I remember having hard hats and 
the glasses and the earplugs and everything. But before we jump too far into that, my dad's reminded me of the next question I wanted to ask, which is, can you tell me how the oil and gas industry has changed in the past few decades? And especially (laughs) what surprised you the most? And then what do you think would surprise my grandfather's generation about the current oil and gas industry? I'm surprised that your dad and I have still got jobs in the oil and gas industry. That would be one we're not locked up somewhere. (laughs) There's that. But, you know, I'll tell you one of the big surprises is that the physics and the chemistry do not change. It hasn't changed in 50, 60 years. So the book that my dad used for Reservoir Engineering 3 is the same one that I used at Texas A&M. And then I've still got it and I still use it occasionally as a reference. That is amazing to me because for all the changes that has happened, we're going through AI now and all of these other high-tech stuff, the basics, the chemistry, the physics isn't changing. How you drill a well is the same. It's just more efficient now. And I think that's my biggest surprise. Would my dad be surprised? Yeah, well, at his time, he had a punch calculator. So he had this big, big thing. And every day he would do his engineering calculation like he was, you know, and now it would be on his iPhone and he would have like four of them. Yes. I mean, he was the earliest adopter of technology I remember. I mean, he had a high-end computer before we did. Yep. And on top of that, I mean, at Gulf Oil, where he was working, he used to go to computer classes before he paid for them on his own because Gulf wouldn't do it. And he would bring these cards home, you know, these heavy cards that you used to have to type and they uh, created And these cards became Christmas wreaths. We would paint them up and they would become Christmas wreaths. But that's a long time ago. And he would be surprised, but not because he was always very progressive. And all of the guys that I used to hang out with, Mr. Galvin, Ray Galvin, you know, and all of these other guys, they were all very progressive, but they always made time for us. And I think that's the other thing I think we need to do, Jason, is we need to take the time Yeah, and Duff is, you know, and give our young people, let them see what we do, let them see our passion, let them feel it. You know, I'm doing this tomorrow night already, Fred. I've got 40 people coming into the IBM office in Houston, and it's people trying to be data scientists, cyber, IT support that want to, that are from underprivileged, you know, that's what, and we're trying to focus on what the skills are and what the industry is. And we've got a panel there, and I think it's up to us, some of the stuff that we and our colleagues and our peers, Fred, need to start doing is give back of these stories. And this exactly. type of podcast have given the knowledge back to Jason mm-hmm. and the younger to really influence them. It says, dude, this is a, isn't a dirty industry. It's really interesting. You can learn so much. And you're right. It hasn't changed. But the amount of your granddad, Jason, you know, may have got, a, he'll be smiling, I'm sure, now in terms of what technology is there and what advancements and how much data he could have to actually get the stuff out the ground quicker and more efficiently, I think, and cleaner. Absolutely. And the cleaner is the difference now because, I mean, we've talked about green and all of these other things that are absolutely true but it's, and carbonization, but at the same time, and these are all good things, but at the same time, the oil and gasoline isn't going away anytime soon globally. Yeah, I agree. You know, and we need to manage it. And the only people that can make that happen right now is the experienced guys you know, we need to teach that next generation. We need to share with them these stories. Another story, and it's brand new, is I'm going to Nigeria in a month or so. 
and there's a brand new, the largest, you know, single train refinery in the world. And I can't wait to do it. And my wife is like, are you crazy? I said, it's what I do. You know, I want to see it. Jason and I chipped in some dollars to make sure you got the Nigerian job. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very nice of y'all. I appreciate it. Nice Christmas present. I was a surprising a bite me there, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's coming. I mean, the other thing, Jason Miles, is I was talking to Jason and he says, you know, this opportunities come up somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you know, globally. Jason was telling me and he says, finally, he says, you know, we're past that time where it's really makes sense for us to do it or our age. And, you know, we said, yeah, you're right. And blah, blah, blah. And five minutes later, I mean, I hung up in what, 10 minutes? (laughs) Hey, maybe we ought to make a go for it, you know? (laughs) Let's go. Let's try. Because not only the passion, but we love what we're doing. So it's not only the oil and gas part. And, you know, we're all logistical people or accountants or whatever we are functionally. But it's a passion of being able to consult and help people do what they want to do. It's not a, you know, blah, blah, blah word. We get excited about doing that. And you should see the excitement of these young people globally. I wish, I hope the Americans get excited. Like I see the global guys get a shot at doing this, you know, working for a big oil company, you know, and all of that and getting to learn stuff. They're excited to do it. And I hope the Americans, you know, because I haven't been home in a while, they don't allow me back in America very often. Something and, else uh, we paid for, Jason. Yeah. Yes. I signed and, a letter. Yeah. <laughs> Fred, on that one, think about the job we did with Gupco and NGC and was it NGC? And EGPC. EGPC, yeah. And doing some of the work in the old Amico asset. Actually, BP took or Amico took almost goat herders in Rashakir on the Red Sea and literally trained them on the plat, on the well. So it's like some of these things are amazing. Some of the projects that you get involved in. And that's, Jason, go back to your question. I think that's what we need to do is make sure people understand what they can do and we understand and using the experience before it walks out the door. Because there's always been the problem in oil and gas. We've never been able to, smart guys, SMEs, walk out and we start again. I think with some of the technology, we can at least get people and, you know, it's not people like Fred, you and I, but it's people like Jason and... Yeah, the next guys. That generation that can pick this up that says, okay, if I understand this from the experience and the data, what more can we do going forward, Jason? I couldn't agree more. And that kind of brings us to the next question I wanted to ask the two of you is, We've talked about all these changes. How have they changed the skills needed for an entry-level position? And not just the person on the rig, but everywhere. So, Dad, I know you started out as an accountant. What does an accountant need for the oil industry now versus what they needed back when you started? Yeah, I mean, it really wasn't even an accountant then. It was I was an auditor. So I was just, you know, <laughs> ticking and tying, you know. Just every invoice come through, I'd tick and tie it. But I learned. I learned what was parts of the oil rig and parts of a valve and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, a young person came out. You've got a lot of opportunity. But what you have to do is open your eyes, lift your head up and see and say, oh, that's interesting. Not just get stuck in your world. Step outside. As they say, step outside of the box. You know, look at what the industry is. It might not even be oil and gas, you know, but look what it's doing. How is it changing? And jump on board that. You know, that's where you're going to get excited. I see the same thing. People will pick up the technology, Jason, easily, Mm -hmm. but don't go back to the one-on-one 
oil and gas or at least get some acknowledgement and look outside, Fred. That's what I see just now that's different. I think in our day age, I was biting at your ankles, if you remember, that says, dude, I don't understand this. What do I need to read? Can I go and see something? And again, go back to it. That's why I'm taking some of the team in Houston to Navasota in a couple of weeks. I want them to touch, feel, smell it. Because once you do it, then you really, really start to understand. And that's the bit for me that's, and again, it's not just consultancy. I think it's industry as well, because we had, a, I wouldn't say the client, but we were talking the other day that we're taking interns into their team and they hadn't really gone through a one-on-one in oil and gas and thinking, dude, you're missing the point. These guys would get so much more. And I think it's maybe the drive of the generation, Jason, maybe you can answer this, of I want to take a skill, want to move on, wouldn't move on. And your dad and I's time, I think it was picking up a skill and understanding the industry and understanding your impact, embedding yourself and then moving on. It seems to me, Fred, that this generation wants to just take technical skills and say, move on, move on, move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they want to, it's very uh, singular linear, I guess is the right word. They didn't, back when I started coming out of school and for the next five years, I started out in different, you know, Superior Oil, Mobile, whatever. You went to school? Hold on. Wasn't it Boston or? Well, no, they didn't let me stay the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I started and they would send me for six months to Lafayette, Louisiana to learn accounting. They sent me six months, you know, to Houston for procurement. They would send me out to the drilling rigs. They would send me to a production facility, to a refinery. And you did really junk work, Mm. but you started to understand right away. It's a value chain. And that's what I really started to understand is it's from getting a license and starting to do seismic all the way to the gas enters your car. And that whole process, it takes a while and you have to be open to different things because the people are different. The yeah. culture is different upstream and downstream. But on the other hand, I'll joke in aside, they want someone to come in. They want a young person to come in and show some interest. They give their left finger or something or middle finger or something. And, you know, if someone comes in and would be really interested in what they do, no matter how mundane. What it sounds like you're saying is that the passion and the desire to learn and know more and dive deeper, not just to understand things at a surface level, is the key trait that you're looking for in an entry-level person. Yeah, that's yeah, that's I, absolutely I think true. A great summary, Jason. I think that's what I'm looking for. If someone came to me with that sort of ABC plus DEF and they got to M already and I want to understand, that's what we need. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I was going to say, Jason, this last comment is important because it stretches outside of just oil and gas. Every year, Texas A&M school, petroleum school, they meet up with NASA, you know, the Space Administration guys, and they go practice diving and drilling in deep water. They do it together. They both come away with so much experience from doing that. Both of them, they learn, both of them. And they want to go back. Of course, it's year to year, but there's so much that's gained by that, you know, and you have to swim. I know we're milking this a bit, Jace, but one last point. Fred, you and I had people like Jeremy Packenham, Steve Edwards, Neil McCormack. I'm trying to think of the American partners as well, but really pushing us to really understand, right? I mean, I was just thinking as you were talking there, Fred, there was a push. There was a real, or if we didn't understand something, you would be put on a course or taken along to a refinery, an upstream asset. And that was what helped, I think, what definitely helped me, Fred. I was 
I'm much no, it was the same thing. Him. Swearingen and a few other. Yeah, there you go. Packingham and Sir Steve Edwards. I mean, these guys, they pushed us. But you know what? They were smart about it. They didn't just push us and tell us, you go to the refinery and learn yeah. about it. They started putting little bits of uh, bird seed out there yeah. for us to eat. So that all of a sudden, holy crap, look what we did. You know, and that's yeah. how we did projects. And that leads us to the next point. When you do all of that and you see the whole value chain, then when you do a project, and it doesn't matter whether it's Microsoft or SAP or any of the others, you start to understand how the project works and how it will be, how you'll successfully achieve it and how it means something to the client, you know? And that's the biggest thing right there. I mean, if we can step outside of the industry for a minute and talk a little bit about consulting is you need to make sure the client's experience is incredible. You don't want to have a client walk away, oh, that was just okay. And the way you do that, and this comes back something to Jason that you told me many, many moons ago, is the importance of you don't may not know everything about everything your client does when you start. But by the time you close out that project... You need to be as expert as anybody that they have because that's how you come back. Yeah, because you understand them and you understand the culture and you can then talk the language and you learn so much. It's Fred. Sorry, Fred. No, I was going to say, I mean, right now I'm doing kind of a side gig. It's with Nginx, but an operational thing. And it's a new kind of new technology for oil and gas about cavitation. And we can talk about that another time maybe. But the point being is, as much as I know about drilling and production, I didn't know anything about that. And so they started learning. And the guy that owns the technology and all of that, he saw that I was learning. I was trying, to, I was researching. I was yeah. trying to find out about it. And even at my age and my experience, you know, and now we've been, in just a few months, we've become great friends and we share a lot and we're both getting something out of it. You just had your 105th birthday, didn't you? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I hate to go that far. But, Jason, how old is he? Come on. Uh, oh, God, at least 200 years old. Yeah, there you go. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure he got turned down at the Civil War for being too old. <laughs> yeah. I volunteered and, and, for and one of the Jason, sides. I mean your Civil War, not, My, not ours. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm Scottish somewhere along the line, you know? I told you you had the control, Jason. Use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My mom's from Nova Scotia, so by default, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm partially Scottish, which is pretty scary. Very. Yeah. Jason, I think that this actually violates your rule several times over now, because if we accept his argument, that puts three of us with at least partial Scot- Scots here. And I've got my green card now as well, so there's three Americans on the phone. Oh, wait, they didn't I give see. you a green card? Oh, yeah, they did, baby. Oh, man, I have to get a visa just to enter Bryan College Station, Texas now. <laughs> yeah, but that has nothing to do with immigration. That has everything to do with your history. Yeah, well, that's um, true. <laughs> so, Jason, back to you. So you did. Yeah. Well, I, what I wanted to do, we were talking about some new things, and I wanted to talk about learning new things. So what do you think of, and this is something that's been very big in my own practice, what do you think of generative AI? How is it affecting your work lives and how is it affecting the oil and gas industry? For me personally, I'll go first, Fred, if you want. For me personally, it's interesting. I think it's got a hold of, in the industry specifically, data's always been there and been very heavy and data lakes. It's what mm-hmm. do you do with them? But there's also been a lot of work on the reservoirs and modeling, et cetera. I think on the Gen AI, for me personally, it's been okay, an eye opener. It's 
you know, we know what's going to come. It's more to do with now getting the use cases to understand how we can use this Gen AI. There's a lot of talk and smack, let's call it smack talk online, I think, of we're all doing Gen AI these days and there's so many tools and it is open and we can use it. But I think what we need to do as an industry is, first of all, dive into it and understand the use cases and try yeah, and do it. We're not very good as an industry. We're a bit laggard when it comes to technology. There's still Excel sitting out there and a lot of <laughs> Most. operations. So I, for me, I think it's the use cases. If we can get the I use cases I just want to point done. out here that he's calling an industry that is probably the second highest tech group of people, especially the offshore side, compared only to the space programs, and he's calling them laggards. Yeah, but yeah. the key is how to manage that data and all of that. Because I'm telling you, my father is a perfect example. You go out after he passed, we went out to the garage, and there's just box after box after box of these books Cards that he books. kept in his, yeah, that he made notes in, you know, meticulous notes of data, and he kept in his back pocket when he was out in the field. And then, you know, something happens to him or he retires or whatever, and all of that's gone instantaneously because nobody is going to go back and try and read and understand everything he tried to do. Or it's not just my dad. I mean, this is common across the board. The other one for me is, I mean, clearly the industry on the other side of why laggard, why would I say laggard in some of the technology? Because it is, if you look at other industries, other industries do take the technology I think, an integration a lot further than what we have done in oil and gas. And I think what's happened is there's an HSSE element. I mean, we don't want to kill anyone or harm anyone. And I think that drives also behaviors that says, well, we can't take a risk. You know, it's not like a risk of, you know, we try something and it fails. There's consequences and massive, and it's, it's usually human loss. Well, look at Macondo. Yeah, there you go. And nobody intended for that rig to blow up. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody woke up in the morning to do that. But things built, and all of a sudden... A little tiny thing built onto another thing, built on another thing, and now you have a blowout, you know? The one thing on, Fred, I don't know if you heard about this, on the Gen AI, it's fantastic. I mean, the data and some of our guys working it, some of the use cases are probably more back office just now, but I saw mm -hmm. something yesterday getting into the operations and doing it. The worry I've got on the Gen AI is the ghosting. I can't remember the, Jason, you'll know the wording. Hallucination. Hallucination. That's the worry from us as the oil and gas. Industry. I used to do that when I was 18. Yeah, I think you still do it, Fred, every week. <laughs> but I think the hallucinations worrying because the Gen AI can just dictate, well, hold on, there's data here. We're going to say what it is. And I think that would worry us as an industry. So we need to get beyond yeah. that. I think as, as it matures, I think it will be a fantastic thing. I think a lot of people are worried about job losses. I don't see it. I think it's more like offshoring and nearshoring. We'll train the people and use the right people and the right skills, and we'll take some of the commodity or the... Simple things we don't need to worry about and automate it. Jason, I don't know if you've got a point on that. If I could just add something real quick. You know, they said that 20, 30 years ago about SAP. All the jobs were going to go away. SAP used yep. to. You're absolutely right. But jobs increased. They didn't decrease. They changed, but they yes. didn't decrease. You I know, think that's the important the thing to say. Jobs change. They don't go away. You free up a certain type of labor so that you can do more of the labor that humans are good at. Yeah, there's been some smack talked about in the press as well, if you look at it, of some CEOs stepping out and how what percentage of jobs are going to be lost. And I think you're absolutely right, Fred. SAP was the same when we were sitting mm -hmm. in the 90s looking at this. I think it'll be different roles. We'll be smarter as an industry. I think we just, my final point is we have to leverage. I was talking to a team mm -hmm. 
Monday this week, and we have to leverage what manufacturing and IP are doing in terms of some of the use cases. That'd be the smart thing. And well, the bottom and- line is, I'll be back. No, he won't. No, he won't. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll keep him there. I Go think on, that, Jason, you've got exactly right. And leveraging areas from outside of industry and kind of growing the tent so that you can learn from more people is so important. I remember, God, I must have been uh, New Jersey, so it would have been second uh, or third grade. Mm-hmm. But I wrote a report about something in biology and science class, analogizing it to an oil production refinery, because that's what I knew because of obvious reasons, but that enabled me to understand something that I wasn't nearly ready to understand from a straight on standpoint. And that same kind of cross where different people can understand different things. Again, that's going to be a key to growing the energy workforce because you're not just going to be looking for the people who are coming in straight and want to be, okay, you're going to be looking for people that are trying to be transitioning. They see something that they want to be passionate about. They've discovered the green economy. They want to start getting into green energy. And there's an element of that. They want to help solve the world's problems. They want to reduce the dependency on foreign oil. I mean, you look at, I drive a hydrogen car. Even if that hydrogen car is using completely green generated hydrogen, it's still using technology that the oil industry has developed to move that hydrogen around. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that brings us to another interesting question, which is how do we convince young people and (laughs) transitioning people that energy is not just a viable career, but an attractive one? You know, I've had this conversation with a couple of people on the podcast, Fred and Jason. Mm -hmm. I've gone to universities and I've asked in colleges and asked the same question. I've gone to the industry leaders we probably fell into it because of our, my first thing was my father was doing an intelligent pig up in Aberdeen for a company and a pipeline. And that's how my first introduction to oil and gas, as you know, Fred. But I think we all kind of stumbled into it because of families, etc. There wasn't a big marketing sort of come and join the industry. Yeah. And I've challenged both. It says, I think, aren't we at the point, given we've been labeled this dirty industry, we're going to have to fight for the skills that we'll need to help transform this industry. Or Because you're right, Jason, people have got a chance to go to distribution, utilities, some of the banking. We will need to fight for some of these. So I personally believe, Fred, we're going to have to do a better job. Some of it's going to be something like this and getting people like you, Fred, out mm-hmm. or our stories and showing what we've done in our career and what's the value you can do? I don't know what you think. I just think we need to do more marketing and start it because it's never been done. No, and as uh, Jason Miles said, you know, we were talking yesterday, the day before, is that oil and gas used to be secretive because it was just yes, this sir. dark hole. It was just gasoline. You just needed to understand that gasoline goes in your car, but that's not even close to the beginning and to the whole process. And we need to open that up and make it transparent so that people can see the different things. So even if they're not an operations guy, they're an accountant. Well, there's opportunity for accountants. There's opportunity for auditors, procurement guys, logistical guys. And they don't even sometimes don't even need to go to school if they don't want to. There's lots of opportunity. It's not that we're hiding it, but it's never been put to the forefront. And I think but it needs to be a good marketing thing. It can't be just thrown out yeah. there. It has to be really professional and crisp. And these folks need to understand what the young people are looking for. Two other points, Fred. I see the mid-size 
U.S. companies now I'm sitting in uh, North America with the average age of some of the skills a little bit higher towards your age. And I see that. As a <laughs> Did I say that like being old? But, but let's be brutally honest, mature resourcing, <laughs> an average age very high and a ticking time bomb in some of these companies because experience will move out. And I don't think some of these clients have worked out, our customers have worked out, number one, what am I famous for? What do I need to partner with? And that's my second point, to transition and do all this work. I don't think people come, to, I work for IBM, as you guys know. I don't see clients now coming to IBM or some of my other competitors and asking for an all-one shop. I think what they're doing is bring me the right partners. Jason, mm-hmm. you know this from Nudesic and some others. How do we team and do the right thing for the industry? So I think the future is some of the companies understanding they've got an issue going to their partners and saying, hey, can you consolidate and come back to me on, you know, we still got mainframe. How the hell are we going to keep and maintain some of this? And how do we transition exactly. off eventually? Yeah. And bring us the right people because a lot of times, no offense to IBM because I came from PwC and it's, you know, I, I can know. always mute them, Jason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. But the, the problem is, you know, sometimes it's, I don't want to say this, but it is, it's best of breed. You need mm-hmm. to understand and have the right guys with the right team totally agree. to accomplish it, to accomplish what you need to do. And it doesn't matter really whether it's, you know, IBM or Accenture, PwC or whoever, you know, NGINX, Nudexic, whatever, is having the right team that understands your business. And that is the next key. Because once you do that, if you understand their business, then you will start to be a trusted partner naturally. You won't have to force it or take them out to the golf course or the in Russia, Banya. And you don't need to do all of that. Let's not tell you the stories. You will bring it to them. No, no. We're not going <laughs> that way. We'll have but Steve on the call. Yeah. Those two words are the important ones. Trusted partner. Yeah. Because anytime we're working with anybody, we want to be the trusted partner. We want to not just be the person that we're trusted to do the one little thing. We want to be the one that helps them with everything. And that's why understanding what they need is so important. I think even internal, Jason, some of the mm-hmm. divisions of what I see in national and multinational, they also need to take it because just now they're being yeah. squeezed into, you go to anywhere. IT used to be a box that said, dude, get my green screen up, get my cables and get the hell out of here because you don't understand. You just talked about Jenny I and some of the other areas and ITOT, et cetera. People need to stand up and show the value of what we're bringing now to the table, which will then convince the business. Sorry, Fred, I interrupted you. Sorry, dude. No, because I was going to lead on past that. And it's not a linear, thin process. You have to have a broad look. And whether it's oil and gas or whether it's some other industry, you can't do it by just saying, I know, you know, the widgets, these widgets. you got to be broad. you got to be able to adapt and adjust and think about strategically, how is it going to help you? These sounds like buzzwords, but they're not meant to be. I mean, that's where one of the keys for me is the fact that I've worked internationally and I've been very broad. You know, I've worked upstream, midstream, downstream, as you have, Jason. And we can adapt and come back and forth and do these different things and think about it where others can't because they're all kind of driven by one thing. Back in the day, you know, 20 years ago in consulting, as a consulting partner, you didn't just sell. You did pre-sales, you did business development, you ultimately sold, and you implemented. You had to do it all, or you didn't make it. 
Yep. Because that's well, what partner. the clients wanted. Yeah. Go back to Jason's words, trusted partner. I think it's yeah. He's behaving himself, Jason. You need to ask him a real difficult question where we get him out I'm of about to. You're, yeah, this is going to be a good one. All so right. we're coming up on the end, <laughs> but I'd like both of you to tell us a story about the beginnings of your careers in oil and gas. And ideally, I want the story where at the end of it, you knew that this was the right industry for you. you only okay, go first. Because yours is yeah. much more exciting than me, Fred. No, I, I don't know about that. But go ahead. I think for me, is I knew a system. I, so I'd worked in the oil and gas industry. I touched it, let's say, with my father's business up in Aberdeen, looking at Intelligent Pig. And I found it really, really interesting. I started reading some one-on-one books. And you guys both know me. I'm a sponge. If I need to go in somewhere, I learn understanding. It was appealing to me. And it wasn't until I left, went to London, started working in some chasing debts and Daily Telegraph. That was another very good job, but let's go. <laughs> uh, chasing debt for Daily Telegraph. But one of the, I started learning a finance system called Sun Systems. Oh, yeah. And I realized it was a mini ERP system that people like BP and Shell and others and Chevron, et cetera, used to utilize before the operation got really big and then went into production and then they turned into SAP. And it, at the time, you couldn't go for a mini SAP system. But I felt it. I was really interested, but I was touching bits of the, um, just a little bit on the finance side, a bit like your father said. And it wasn't until I met people like your father, Jason, and understood the impact of what I could do and said, hey, have a look at maintenance, look at predictive maintenance. What's this maximal MRO system that we've got that you could bolt in? <laughs> oh, so yeah, for we me, had my talks. excitement bit was the excitement, it was almost like the curtains coming, you know, fully drawn and seeing the full picture of what I could do in the industry. So for me, I kind of stumbled on it with the experience I had, but I needed people like your father and others to show me what more I could give. And for me, I just took a stride straight into it, learned how to sell and deliver some of these things and went on. And that was my start off really, it's a bit boring, but actually I needed the guidance because I could have stopped at the Sun Systems bit, left the curtains where they were, and just gone on technology. I needed the people to show, Jace, put your feet forward here. Come and have a look at what's there. And when I strode through, Fred, you know, we just started yeah. doing everything from Puerto Rico to Egypt to Vietnam. Everywhere. Yeah. Russia, Ukraine. I yeah. mean, for me, it sounds, and it's a little bit boring, but it's true, is I got an opportunity with way back in the day with Mobile Oil. They sent me on an audit to Nigeria, an NPC, and uh, the joint venture. And that's a story in itself. But the fact of the matter is, during this time, it was the first time I actually saw the whole process from drilling a well, production, to the refinery, and to loading tankers and tanks. And you saw the whole thing. And at the same time, I was lucky enough to deal with some guys that you know, saw what I was trying to do and trying to jump at. And they mentored me and they told me that, and along, even my dad, we saw, he says, you're going to have to, you know, make this automated. We have to go automated. Okay. Well, I see we're almost, everybody's going like this. So I'll close it by saying that it was really, because that's the first time I really thought about the automation going with everything else, along with Remember Lotus and Excel. Well, Fred, do you not remember the time when we were doing a workshop either at Houston and then London, and you and I were asked to present on what the oil and gas of the future would be, and everyone was sitting either in Houston and London, and we called something Diverse Locations and said, guys, get your train ticket, plane and train tickets ready because you're going to be off and running. That yeah. must have been late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Yeah. 
And we were off and running, and everyone thought, Jason, that your dad and I were crazy, and we just... Just went. I mean, well, Steve, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's another thing. We're insane. But, <laughs> you know, Steve Edwards, and we need to get him on a show, and Jeremy and those guys, they didn't even think about it. They just said, go get visas to all these places. And all of a sudden, I mean, my daughters have fought over my passport. I mean, the passport's an inch thick, just filled with visas from all these different countries and places that we went to. And we had the... I don't know if it's luck or what it was, but we had the passion and we just said, let's go. It's like I told you, you know, two weeks ago, Jason and I had a discussion about a country that's out of the way and, you know, it would be hard at our age. And then I called him right back and said, "Eh, maybe we ought to give it a go one last time, you know, but it's true. In short, great industry, great experience, Jason, and amazing Mm -hmm. cultural. I'm sure your dad and I could go on for hours on fire. Yeah. And I'd love to listen to you. Yeah, well, that's a problem. We're not going to do that. (laughs) So, all right. Is that a wrap, Jason? Yeah, I think that's a wrap. We're coming up on time, and it's been great talking to both of you, hearing your stories, and just kind of having a conversation about the future of the oil and gas industry. Cool. And Jason, I think you've done a great job hosting the podcast. I think maybe I need to look, Fred. I think we've got a new Jason coming in. Yeah. No, seriously, it's really good to hear you, Jason, and I love the questions. Thank you. I think you tamed your father. He looked a little bit worried in a couple of questions. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, always, it. yeah, but, you know, life is good. And Jason, I'm really proud of him for what he's doing in New Desic. And I know I was talking to him because I said, you know, I started thinking about when I'm 40, that's when I kicked it in. And you and I started running together some, Jason Duff. And, you know, that was a big transition to a really powerful time in our lives because we were around some really amazing people at that time that helped us along. And hopefully, Jason, you're going to have access to the same thing. Maybe not me, but, you know, some other people. (laughs) So, Fred, Jason, thank you very much for joining us. You guys, thank you, listeners, for listening. If you guys want to be the next Jason and Fred, goodness, try and be the next Jason, not the next Fred. I don't know how many (laughs) times we've bailed them out of prison. Yeah. (laughs) Get a hold of us and get on. Even if you want to talk to these guys, I'll put their connects in the footnotes. But, Jason, Fred, great to talk to you both. And thank you. All right. Be cool. Take care. guys. Bye-bye. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.